You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Unfortunately, that many today seek Jesus for what he can do for them instead of for who he is. It's a sad thing. The man implored Jesus. He implored him. You know what that means? It means to beg in desperation. Oh my. Beg in desperation. How many of us would do anything we possibly could to try to save a dying child? We would do almost anything we possibly could. You can imagine this man's heart. Do you ever pursue personal relationships for the perks? We're selfish to our core, and it's not unusual for someone to be used simply because they have something to offer. Pastor Dave reminds us today that we should engage in our relationship with Jesus not simply for what He can do, but for what He has done for you. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 4 as he begins his message, A Matter of Faith. going to jump back into our study of the Gospel of John, the Gospel of St. John. So if you have your Bibles with you, open them to John 4. We've been making our way now for a while through the book of John, the Gospel of John. We're going to read verses 43 through 54 today. We're actually going to finish a chapter. Don't expect these little treats every day. We're going to finish the chapter. So I would like to read aloud if you want to follow along silently. John 4, verse 43. Now, after the two days, he, being Jesus, departed there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast for they also had gone to the feast. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to Jesus, said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better. And they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed, and his whole family. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. So as I said when we began, we began the study of the Gospel of John quite some time ago. 
And we have been making our way through the gospel, line by line, verse upon verse, which is what we do. And we have a great time. And as we began our study, John declared his main purpose to us, but we had to go to the end of the book to find out what his main purpose was. In chapter 20 of the Gospel of John, John declares his purpose to us for writing the book. In verses 30 and 31, he says this, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Amen. This declaration by John showed clearly his intent for writing the gospel, but it follows in context the dramatic profession of faith by Thomas. You remember when Thomas wanted to see the nail prints in Jesus' hands and the spear wound in his side, and he said, unless I put my fingers in the wounds, I won't believe. And Jesus appeared to him and said, Thomas, put your finger here, put your finger there. Thomas fell on his hands and knees, and he declares, my Lord and my God. Jesus then said, Thomas, blessed are you that say these things and believe. But oh, how much more blessed will be those who believe and don't see. In other words, it would be a matter of faith. It comes down to faith. We studied John 3.16 at length, and we had a great time looking at that wonderful, powerful verse and this promise of eternal life that Jesus makes is made to those who would believe in, who would place their trust in the name of Jesus. In other words, for those who would place their faith in Jesus' work on the cross. Jesus' work on the cross for the forgiveness of sin. Jesus' work on the cross for salvation. Jesus' work on the cross that it was finished, done. No more work to be saved. Simply by faith. We would believe and we would be saved. As we went through the opening of this glorious gospel, the Apostle John showed us John the Baptist's testimony of Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he who I've told you about, who came after me, but he is before me. I can't even tie his shoelaces. I can't even tie his sandals together. Then we had the miracle at Cana where he turned the water into wine. Then we had that wonderful time when Jesus ministered to Nicodemus, caught in the religious box, this holy man of God who didn't know what it meant to be born again by the Spirit. Jesus did signs and wonders in Jerusalem, but he knew what was in the heart of man. So just recently we've been studying John 4. You know the story of the woman at the well. We've been studying that at length. And Jesus at that time ministered to many there. Look at who he ministered to. Not only the Samaritan woman, he ministered to his own disciples and he ministered to the throng of people that came out from the village to see who this guy was, who had told this woman all that she ever did. Who was that? Could it be the Christ? And they came out to see him. When the Samaritans got there, they heard him speak. They believed and they trusted in him. What John is trying to say in all this is that all these individuals were fulfilling his purpose of his gospel, was fulfilling his purpose that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus is God incarnate. And John is fulfilling this because he's showing us that the gospel message is not just for a certain sect. It's not for the Jews. 
It's not just for the Gentiles. It's for all mankind. And as we look through the first part of the Gospel of John, we see all different types hearing about Jesus and coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So as we come to today's text, we see yet another individual whose faith is going to grow as he seeks out Jesus because his son is sick. Now, he's going to seek out Jesus for the wrong reason, but Jesus is going to reward his simple faith. And in these verses this morning, we're going to trace this man's faith. And as you look at the progression of his faith, you're going to see that his faith goes from a crisis faith or a faith in crisis to a confident faith, to a confirmed faith, and then a contagious faith. So as we begin, let's look at 43. Now, after the two days, he, that's Jesus, departed from there and went to Galilee. We had read previously in 440 that the Samaritans came to Jesus and they believed and they said, stay with us. Please stay with us. And the scripture says he stayed for two days. Well, the two days are over. The two days are now over, and Jesus is moving on. He leaves Samaria, and he begins to travel to Galilee, which is interesting because way, way back at the beginning of chapter 4 in verse 3, we see that Galilee was the original destination. He just had to make a pit stop in Samaria because of the woman, and he knew the harvest was ripe, so he went down there for that time. So in verse 44, John is writing what Jesus said. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. A prophet has no honor in the country he's from. Now, it is interesting to me that in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when Jesus said this, he was referring to Nazareth, his hometown. But here, John records these words, in his own country, in his own country. He could be referring to Galilee, which was where Nazareth was. He could be referring to Judea, which where he was and where Jerusalem is. Or he could be referring to all of Jerusalem, his own country, his own country. Because when we first began the Gospel of John, John said this in verse 11 of chapter 1, he, Jesus, came to his own and his own did not receive him. The meaning here of his own means his own people. Jesus came to Israel and they rejected him. They rejected him. We know that Jesus was rejected in Nazareth. He was rejected in Jerusalem. He was rejected by the religious leaders because he wouldn't do things for them because he knew what was in their heart. He was a discerner of the heart. And therefore, he wouldn't commit himself to them. So Galilee is Jesus' country as well. It's where he grew up. And because these people felt so familiar with Jesus, they didn't honor him the way they should have. But this is kind of like an oxymoron. It really is kind of like an oxymoron. If, if we recognize the reality here, they weren't really familiar with Jesus because if they had truly been familiar with Jesus, they would have recognized him for who he was. But they weren't that familiar with him. They were too judgmental. They were too looking at the law. Why is a prophet without honor be with his own people, with his own country? Well, Many say there's too much history there. There's too much familiarity between the prophet and the people or the shared experience. I mean, people who know you best, your peeps, your buds, your pals, people you worked with, all your friends, BC, they know you. Now all of a sudden you're walking around talking about Jesus. And they're like, what? You? Get out of here. You know, they, they have a hard time believing that. They have a hard time accepting change in your life. They're too familiar with your past. Difficult to witness to them. 
And all these are great contributing factors, but the dishonor probably comes from a much, much deeper source. A sinful heart. A sinful heart. Look at the other side of the coin. The prophet, the hometown prophet, comes back to town. And he can easily offend everybody in town. Now, when I say town, you could be talking about your own home. You could be talking about your own home. Why? Because you know the strengths and weaknesses of your house. You know the strengths and weaknesses of everything that's going. You know the rights and the wrongs, even in your own home, in your own town. And if you're very true and you're very fearless, you will say things that the community needs to hear or the house needs to hear and needs to be said. And although it's said, they don't listen to you. They don't hear you. Why? Keeps people from the hometown hearing the prophet, learning new things from, from one of their own. Someone once said this, quote, home is where you can say whatever you want because no one listens to you anyway, unquote. <laughs> Some of you have probably found that out. This was the situation that Jesus was facing here in Galilee. He knew all the stories. He heard all the jokes. He heard all the gossip. He knew what made people tick inside and out. He knew which buttons to push, and he knew how to speak God's truth into everyone's heart because he was the discerner of the heart. He exposes their idols and their religious traditionalism. He exposes that they're caught in a religious box by the law. He exposed their political corruption, and he exposed their racial prejudice, how the Jews hated the Samaritans and the Gentiles, and they thought they were above everybody else. Jesus exposed all that. And it was painful to them. It was necessary, but it cut them to the quick. People listened when he spoke. They asked questions like, where does he get the authority to say these things? Who gives him the authority to say this kind of stuff? But they didn't believe. They didn't really listen. Things haven't changed much today. As you witness Christ to your friends and your families, those that you grew up with, those that you've known, they won't even listen to you. Talk to the hand. They don't even want to see you. Some of them will. Yes, some of them will. Some of them will even be drawn into coming to church or drawn into some, seeing what you're, all, this is all about, making sure you're not in some sort of a cult or not going out to the airport giving out flowers, something like that. You got that, huh? That's pretty cool. This is where Jesus is. He's in Galilee. But look at verse 45. Look at verse 45. It says, So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. They received him. Why? Because he did signs and wonders. They received him because they thought he was a miracle worker, and they wanted more of the signs and wonders. They didn't receive him because of who he is. They thought all he was was a miracle worker, and now that he's here, we're going to see some great things. We're going to get a good show. They weren't believing in him who he was. They weren't even interested in his theology. They weren't even interested in any of his talk. They just wanted to see food put on the table. They just wanted to see miracles, people healed, things like that. In verse 46 and 47, it says he returns to Cana, where he did the miracle of the water and the wine, and he meets this nobleman. And this nobleman comes to him because he has a sick kid. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he had heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So 
Now we're going to be beginning to see this progression of faith that this guy had. He's got just enough faith to come down to seek Jesus out. Why? Because his faith is in crisis. And this is the first point. He's in a crisis faith. His son is sick. His son is dying. He probably went to doctors. He probably went to lawyers. He probably went to Indian chiefs. He probably went to everybody he possibly could to get his son healed to no avail. His son was dying. He was the end of himself. He, he was there at the end. He couldn't believe that no one could heal this one. He probably even prayed to idols because tradition says that he was a Gentile. His son was near death. He had no place else to turn. I don't know about you, but it sounds like my life story. It sounds like where I came to Christ. Deep in sin, deep in my own ways, deep in my own things, and I had no place else to go. The world was falling around around me. I had no place to go. Jesus stepped into my life, and everything changed. This is what's happening to this man. He has no place to go. He's in crisis mode, and you know how you act when you're in crisis mode. You're constantly looking for the quick fix, constantly looking for the thing that's going to help. His son was near death. His son was near death. What is he going to do? He's panicking. He's just, oh, I'm in crisis mode. He had a reluctant faith, too, because the only thing he believed that Jesus was a miracle worker. That's all he cared about. He needed a miracle. That was his main concern. He had no interest in who Jesus was. He had no interest in his theology or who he was. All he wanted to know, what can you do for me? It's unfortunate that many today seek Jesus for what he can do for them instead of for who he is. It's a sad thing. The man implored Jesus. He implored him. You know what that means? It means to beg in desperation. Oh my, beg in desperation. How many of us would do anything we possibly could to try to save a dying child? We would do almost anything we possibly could. You can imagine this man's heart. He had heard that this Jesus was coming to Galilee. He had heard from those who had gone to the feast in Jerusalem that Jesus made miracles and did things. He said, this is the last chance. This is the last straw. If Jesus doesn't do something, my kid's going to die. I have no place else to turn. Everybody else I've tried. Where am I going to go now? He sought Jesus out. I love that. He made the move towards Jesus. You know the scripture, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. He he went towards Jesus. He went seeking him out. Seeking him out. Look at verse 48. Then Jesus said to him, unless the people see signs and wonders, they will by no means believe. Ouch. That's harsh. That really is harsh. That doesn't sound like my Jesus. That's a pretty harsh statement. But it wasn't a rebuke to the man. Jesus wasn't rebuking to the man. He already knew that he was going to heal the boy. He wasn't rebuking the man. He was rebuking all the others around the man, looking in, waiting for the miracle, waiting for the signs and wonders, because they'd seen everything in Jerusalem, and they wanted the same show here. They were all looking in. Jesus was lamenting about the spiritual condition of the nation. Jesus was lamenting, lamenting about the spiritual condition. They were lost. He didn't count in many Galileans, but they only wanted miracles. Show us some miracles. They didn't have genuine faith. All they wanted was to see was signs and wonders. Man, think about it. These people are so different than the Samaritans, remember? 
When the Samaritans came running out because the woman said, come see this guy, he told me everything I ever did. They came running out by storm, and as soon as they heard him, they believed in him because of his word. That's what Gusick says about this. He says, quote, signs and wonders from God are obviously good things, but they should not form the foundation of our faith. We should not depend on them to prove God to us. In themselves, signs and wonders can never change a heart. Christian, we need to be so careful in the age in which we live because there's going to come on a scene someone who's going to do great signs and wonders. And he will be known as the Antichrist. He will be a false Christ. And he will draw people to himself because those people are looking for signs and wonders. We need to know the true Christ, the Bible Christ, the Son of God as displayed in the Bible and as revealed in the Bible. And the more we know him, the more we're going to be rooted and grounded on the rock of his foundation, and we won't be able to move. And as I said, first service, when we're rooted and grounded in that rock, the rock of Jesus Christ, when we're anchored to him, the wind's going to blow. But we're not going to be moved. We may be shaken, but we're not going to be moved. Because we're foundationed on Christ Jesus himself. And he's the rock upon which I stand. And we need that. We're going to talk about that in a little while. Look at verse 49. Look at verse 49. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Can you hear the pain in this man's voice? You can hear the pain. Sir, please, come. My child's going to die. If you don't get there, he is going to die. He was a nobleman, it said. He was a man of high stature, a man of good standing. Where's all that now? How far did that get him? How far did his high standing and his good stature get him? I mean, you've heard it said that you're in the hospital and you've heard people say, somebody comes out and says, oh, your loved one is this, this, this. Money's no expense. Or they say, Give them all the medicine you can possibly give them. Isn't that well? Well, if that's your God, if money's your God and drugs are your God, well, that's where you're going to lean to. This guy didn't know where to lean. He didn't know what to do. But sometimes Jesus brings us to the lowest point in our lives. He lets us spiral down. Splat. He lets us spiral down until we have absolutely no place else to go. Until we're running into that brick wall, smacking our head, bleeding. Because we keep hitting the brick wall time and time and time again. And when we finally come to the end of ourselves, when there's no place else we can turn, when there's nothing else we can do, we turn around and he's standing there like this. Come to me. I love you. It's incredible. It's incredible. He lets us do that. And then he takes us to the place where everything is even. There's no hierarchy there's no class system. He takes us to the foot of the cross. He takes us to the foot of the cross because there everyone is equal. Everyone's equal when we get to the cross. We're all equal in the eyes of God at that point because we're all sinners and we need the cross. You are We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on A Sure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. 
There, you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab. You can listen to additional teachings from this series in John or jump to another book of the Bible. Each book gives some useful insight into God's plan for you and the world you live in. We trust that A Sure Hope is an encouraging program for you. And if you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us. If you happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to meet you in person for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 10 a.m. And you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand. And we'd still love for you to be a part of our church family virtually. You can join us for church online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at assurehoperadio.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Assure Hope.